Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Devoted. Are you a fully devoted follower of Jesus? In this series, we will consider where we spend most of our time, energy, and money, believing that what we're devoted to says something about our identity, where we belong, and how we view our purpose in life. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select contact us, and send us an email. Good morning, everybody. We're in this series called Devoted, and what we've been doing is asking ourselves, what does it mean to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus? In this series, we've looked at uh, living a a devoted uh, faith, having a devoted faith, living a devoted spiritual life, having a devoted life of service, living in devoted relationships or community. And today we're going to look at what it means to devote ourselves fully to God with our bodies, with our minds, with our souls. So let me just begin with a prayer. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Lord, we thank you that you are devoted to us. And so you've shown us what it means to be fully devoted. So I pray for each one of us that you would help us understand that too and apply it to our lives. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I recently read this story. Uh, Three-year-old Katie was taken to her pediatrician uh, with a bout of flu, and the doctor examined her ears, and he asked, hey, will I find big bird in your ears? And apprehensively, she said no. And then uh, before examining her throat, he said, will I find cookie monster in here? And again, she said no. And finally, he he took out the stethoscope. He said, I'm going to listen to your heart. Will I find Barney in there? And with innocent conviction, she looked him directly in the eye and said, no, Jesus is in my heart. Barney's on my underwear. You know, as a, as a fully devoted follower of Christ, we need to understand that we need to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our bodies, with all of our minds, with all of our souls. And, and you know, we often say that, that Jesus lives in our heart, but we're really going to unpack uh, how we got to that kind of declaration that, that we invite Jesus into our heart this morning. And so I want to unpack that. And and the first thing that I want to say is this, is that the Spirit of God lives within us. So we could say that Jesus lives in our hearts. So in fact, the Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, We are where the Spirit of the Lord dwells. And now think about that. How did we get from a, a physical temple made of Uh, bricks and and stone where God was worshipped by uh, the early Israelites uh, to Christ followers being the temple of God. So let's, uh, let me just back up a little bit in the history of our faith. In the book of Exodus, uh, Moses is um, writing down what God has said to him And God says, and we read this in the 25th chapter of the book of Exodus, God says, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. In other words, that I may dwell in the midst of my people. And so with that instruction, and in fact, if you go back and you read that chapter, you'll discover that there's very detailed instructions about how this dwelling place was supposed to be made. It was called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle 
honestly, was basically a huge tent. And so they made it portable because at that point, the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And because they were on the move, they had to be able to pack it up and move it. And it was basically a portable temple for the people of Israel where they could draw near and hear from God, where they could worship God and where they could stand in God's presence. Now, years later, David proposed building a permanent dwelling place for God, a temple. But God said, no, I don't want you to do that. I want your son to do that. So Solomon did build a temple. And if you know anything about the history of Israel, uh, invaders came and they destroyed the first temple. Uh, Israel was restored. The temple was rebuilt. And, and it lasted until 70 AD when the Roman Empire came into Israel and destroyed it. In fact, uh, the only remaining part of the temple building today in Jerusalem is what we call the Western Wall. We're going to put a picture up uh, of it up here. Uh, you may be familiar with seeing it. That, that is the, uh, that one uh, Maybe it's not there, so we won't put it up there. So maybe you've seen the picture of, of the Western Wall. It's the one place in Israel where particularly devout Jews and Christians go today to be able to, to see that uh, and be able to uh, touch that and, and be a part of that. So that's all that lasts of the physical temple. And that's partly because not just what the Romans did, but it also changed when Jesus came. In the Gospel of John, we read this. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Now, if you go back to the original language, in the Greek, the word for dwelt doesn't mean literally dwelt directly into English. What it literally means is this, to pitch a tent or to live in a tabernacle. You seeing that? Don't miss it. The significance of this is that John is pointing back to when God, in all of his glory, lived in a tabernacle, lived in a huge tent, and then later in the temple. But now he's saying that with the coming of Jesus to earth, God is here and in the flesh. And God lives in the midst of his people. Now, let me point out what one pastor writes. The point is that the temple of Israel was a type of foreshadowing of the glory of Christ. The temple was the place where the law of Moses was preserved, of which Jesus now is the fulfillment of that law. The temple was the place of revelation and relationship where God met and spoke to his people. But now we hear God and see God and meet God in Jesus the temple was the place of sacrifice where forgiveness of sins was obtained. But now we go to Jesus where we receive forgiveness of our sins. Israel worshipped and celebrated in the temple in Jerusalem, only in Jerusalem. But now followers of Jesus can worship God in spirit and in truth regardless of their geographical location. To meet God, to talk with God, to worship God, you no longer have to go to a building, to a tent, to a structure made with human hands. You come to Jesus. Jesus was the temple of God. But, but the story doesn't end there. We, the church, are the, are the body of Christ, and therefore we constitute the temple in which God is pleased to dwell. 
We see this in Scripture. The glory of God now abides permanently and powerfully through the Holy Spirit. When, when Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, he says this, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, and this is what he says, in him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. And this is an idea that, that Paul continues. So I, I'm going to put a couple of scriptures on the screen from the book of Corinthians. Uh, Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. A little later in the book of Corinthians, he writes, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So Paul's telling us that God dwells inside every believer. He says this about all of us as a group of believers, but also as individual believers. So with that in mind, let's just pause for a moment and think about the temple in Jerusalem. You know, what was the purpose of the temple of Jeru in Jerusalem? The temple was the place where God's presence was found. And that's why people went there. That's why they went there to worship God. The temple was also the place where God was glorified. And the temple was the place where God was served. So let's sort of extrapolate that. So now the Holy Spirit dwells in us, the body of Christ, in individual believers so that means that we are God's temple. It doesn't mean we're God. It just means that God dwells in us. So that means this, that God's presence is found with us. That means that God can be glorified in us. That means that God can be served in us and through us and by us. Now, those aren't casual statements. These are profound statements building upon the truth of Scripture. So remember what I said uh, about Paul. He said, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So he says, don't you know this? And then he makes this powerful statement. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Here's this idea that, that through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, we've been saved for eternity, and now we've been blessed with the presence of the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in us where we can know God, worship God, serve God, and all of this happened because Jesus loved us enough and he paid the price for us. So with that knowledge, that means that we should seek to devote our lives to living righteously in our bodies and our minds and our souls. So as followers of Jesus, we belong to him and we are the temple where he resides through the power of the Holy Spirit. And think this through. If our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, then that has some implications. First of all, if our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that means that God's presence is found within us. That truth speaks to our hearts. Once Jesus said this uh, about his followers, he said this, where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So whenever you gather with another believer, the presence 
of Jesus is there through the power of the Holy Spirit. And remember what Jesus said as he was preparing to ascend into heaven. He gave the disciples a, a great commission. He said, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and, and make disciples of all nations and baptize them and teach them all that I've commanded. But then he gave them a promise. I will be with you always. They didn't fully understand what that meant because Jesus was ascended into heaven. Fifty days later, the day that we now call Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended on the church, descended on those who believed in Jesus and filled them and came to be the presence of God with them. So God's presence is found with us. This is a message that carries on through Scripture. Even in the last book of the Bible, we read these words in the book of Revelation. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. These are all promises of God, promises that he keeps to us, promises to be with us. And so our devotion should reflect that wherever we are, that we know that God is with us. David realized this in Psalm 139 as he was uh, talking about his relationship with God. This is what he wrote. He said, if I go up to the heavens, you were there. If I make my bed in the depths, you were there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle in the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. He was basically saying, listen, that God is omnipresent, that he's present with him through the power of his spirit. And he didn't even know about the Holy Spirit the way we do today. So knowing that should drive our devotion to God to a deeper level. Knowing that should make us want to connect with and commune with God who is present with us. And knowing that should make us aware that God is with us always, so we're never alone. If you struggle with fear, if you struggle with anxiety, if you struggle uh, with anything like that, you need to recognize that God is present with you and lean on that when you struggle with those things. Knowing that God is always with us should elicit a response from us to acknowledge that, that, that he's present. It also should change the way we live. So that means that if the body of if our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that means not only does he uh, preside with us, it also means that he can be glorified in us. In fact, uh, remember what, Jesus, what uh, Paul writes. He says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you. And then he says, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. And then the last thing he says is, so glorify God in your body. You know, the early, uh, some of the early Christians, there, there was a move to try to separate, uh, you know, life from a spiritual life and a physical life. And there were some who created basically a cult off of the early Christian church. Basically says, I can do anything in my body what I want to. You know, I can go to a prostitute. I can sin however I want to because that doesn't affect my spiritual life. But, uh, you know, all of Orthodox Christianity said, listen, wait a minute, you can't separate your spiritual life from your physical life. You can't separate what you do in the flesh from what you do in the spirit, that we're connected. And you can't separate those two. And so um, we're supposed to glorify God 
in our bodies. Glorify God with our minds. Glorify God with all that we are in this physical world. So glorification and worship of God happened at the temple in Jerusalem. But now that the temple no longer exists there, that's not the place where God's supposed to be worshipped. So he's supposed to be glorified. He's supposed to be worshipped in us, even not just in the things that we think spiritually, not just in our prayer life, but in the way that we live our lives, the things that we do, the things that we think. Paul understood this. In the book of Romans, he starts off chapter 12 saying this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He says, listen, offer your bodies. Offer how you live your life. How the words that you speak, how the thoughts that you think, how the deeds that you do, offer them in devotion to God as a spiritual act of worship. Recognize that, that living your life is not your own because you've been bought from, with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. So what would it mean to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice? What would it mean? Would it mean giving up our lives, our wills to follow God's will? Yes. Would it, would it mean saying, I'm going to do what God wants to do instead of what I want to do? I want to reorient my thinking, my way of life, my desires to fulfill God's desires. And it would mean using our lives and our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our mouths to glorify God. Paul addressed this when he was talking about this idea that we're the temple. He, he said it a little later in, in his second letter to the Corinthians. He said, we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these premises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So Paul's saying that we are the temple of God, that that God dwells among us. And since God is holy, he's saying that, that we need to be holy. And that's why he, he has this idea that we're supposed to separate, to set ourselves, set ourselves apart. It's this idea that to be holy means to be set apart. God is set apart from us. And to be holy means that we want to live our lives for God in a way that honors him. Not going the ways of the world, but going the ways of God. Now, this passage is even more powerful when you realize that just before this, Paul exhorts us to not be spiritually bound to things and relationships that are not glorifying to God. Let me read what he says, picking up in verse 14 of chapter 6. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do wicked, righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial, which is another name for the devil? 
Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? So let's unpack this. Now, let me be clear. The first thing, Paul is not saying that you cannot have relationships with people who are not followers of Jesus. But what he is saying is don't be yoked together. And what he means by yoked is to not enter enter into a morally or legally binding relationship with someone who doesn't share your same faith and devotion to Jesus Christ. Because he's saying they're not congruent, okay? Uh, They they don't match up. They're not going to have the same values. They're not going to have the same foundation. They're not going to have the same beliefs. So in in relationships, you can't expect someone who doesn't believe in Jesus to share your same devotion to Jesus. And that's what he's saying. Don't yoke yourself. In other words, be morally or legally bound to someone. He said, make those decisions that are God-honoring and and only bind yourself to things that are of God. He's drawing this idea that we are in a battle, a a constant battle between the things of this world and the things of God. And we need to align ourselves, mind, body, and soul to those things that are of God. Now, uh, these verses also have ramifications for what we do with our body, how we use our bodies, how we care for our bodies. Do we knowingly participate in sin with our bodies and with, do the things that are not honoring to God? Uh, in this verse, Paul writes this, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, so glorify God in your body. And then uh, in the, uh, the verse right before, this is what he says. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now this was so important because the Spirit of God dwells within us. And what would sexual immorality look like? In Paul's day and age, in our day, it would all, it's all the same. It would include any sexual expression outside of God's design, which Scripture makes clear is only to be within the context of of marriage. So uh, think that through, you know, in another place, Jesus says that we're not supposed to even look at somebody lustfully or we've committed adultery. So in the age of pornography, in the age of uh, free sex, really what God calls us to do is to flee from sexual immorality. Anything that's outside that covenant relationship of marriage that God calls us to. Again, You know, this is setting ourselves apart. We're not going the ways of the world because the ways of the world say that all those things are fine. But God's word says, listen, I I want to do this, number one, to keep you pure, but number two, because now the Spirit of God dwells within you. And you don't want to bring that into into, uh, in connection with the body of Christ, in connection with God's Spirit. Those two cannot be yoked together. So, If our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, that means that we'll allow God to be glorified in everything that we do. Every thought that we think, every word that we speak, every action that we commit. The final thing we talked about is this. God is served by us. As followers of Jesus, we should use our minds and our bodies and our souls for serving God. In Colossians 3.17, Paul writes this, Whatever you do, 
whether in word or deed. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Think this through. If God is present with us wherever we go, then we have the opportunity to serve him in everything we do. Now, when you think about that, that will radically change the way that you look at your life. When you realize that in everything you do or say, it's an opportunity to serve God. So what would happen if we asked ourselves every day, how can I serve God? How would it change how you look at your place of employment, the job that you do? It would change your attitudes toward your job. What if you looked at that as a student going to school? How would that change your attitude that you want to improve yourself for the glory of God? It would radically refocus every area of our lives. Everything that we say, everything that we do, everything that we think. The Apostle Paul tells us this, to, to refocus our lives this way. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. So God gives us forgiveness, but he calls us to not let our lives, any part of our lives, be a sin or an instrument of wickedness. Paul draws the line between serving God with our body and serving sin with our body. He uses the language of worship when he says, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer every part of yourself as an instrument of righteousness. He sees our service. He sees the way we live our lives as acts of worship. Going further, he wrote to the churches in Galatia and he described his life this way. He said, listen, I've been crucified with Christ, but I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's redefining what life looks like. He says, living your life for Christ is like living it as if he were living in your shoes and recognizing that you're living your life for him. So let me ask you, have you been living your life for Christ? Remember when Paul wrote these words, he wasn't writing to a bunch of pastors, okay? When Paul wrote these words, he was writing to uh, moms and dads, to blue-collar and white-collar workers, to soldiers and to civilians, to young people and old people, to males and females, to Jews and Gentiles, meaning all races. And he was saying, as a follower of Christ, live every part of your life for Christ. So what would that look like? If we lived every part of our lives for Christ, with our thoughts, with our words, with our deeds. What if we said, this body I've been given, this mind I've been given, this mouth I've been given, how can I use it to serve God? How can I devote it to God as an instrument that's worthy for his praise 
and his service. What would it look like? You know, our, our motto as a church is to love God and love people and change the world. You know, if we love God with our, all of our bodies, with all of our minds, with all of our mouths, with all, all of our hearts, that will change how we live in that vertical relationship with God, but it'll also change how we live in the horizontal relationship with one another. It'll change how we speak to one another, how we care for one another. It'll change about what we put on social media. It'll change how we deal with disagreements and arguments. It, it will change everything, and ultimately, it will change the world. Yeah, one conversation at a time, one life at a time. But as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, that's what he calls us to. So I, I want to pray for each one of us that we'll embrace that devotion. That we'll recognize that we've been crucified with Christ and we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. And the life that we live in this body, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave his life for us. Let's pray. Father, we cannot ignore your full-out devotion to us. How you loved us so much that you sent your only son with the task of living here and showing us the way to you and dying on the cross where he paid the price for our sins. He was fully devoted, body, mind, and soul. And Lord, you've called us all to do the same. So I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, that we would not be overwhelmed by that calling, but that we would embrace it and that we would accept it and we would seek to live our lives to glorify you. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us do that each and every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.